Recently, the Federal Labor Relations Authority turned down a request from two departments. Education and Agriculture wanted the authority to issue a policy statement clarifying what's a condition of employment and a working condition for purposes of collective bargaining. Joining us to explain what this is really all about and how it might affect your agency's labor relations, the former executive director of the Office of General Counsel at the FLRA, Bill Wiley. Mr. Wiley, good to have you on. Oh, good to be here, Tom. Thank you. So what, in your opinion, were education and agriculture trying to accomplish here? Well, there's a a concept in labor law that's been around since the beginning, back in 1979. The opinions of FLRA sort of bounce back and forth, and they're very hugely significant on the day-to-day practice of labor relations at federal agencies. The law itself says that agencies have to bargain working conditions of employment, and in the federal sector, there are two times agencies have to bargain conditions of employment. Uh, Number one is when the union makes proposals at the end of the term of the previous union contract. That's usually once every three years. And then they bargain. But the other time where this distinction becomes significant is during the life of the contract. If the agency chooses to change a condition of employment, then it has to notify the union prior to the change and complete the bargaining before the change can be implemented. And federal agencies change things during the life of a contract all the time. They get new leadership, Congress passes new laws that have to be implemented, OPM changes regulations. So there's a variety of reasons that management would change a condition of employment during the life of a contract. Now, when an agency gets ready to change a condition of employment, its obligation is to notify the union and say, hey, we plan to change this condition next week, next month, whatever it is. And then the union has the opportunity to make proposals related to that change. And the tough part for management is that it has to complete its bargaining obligation prior to making the change. And sometimes a bargaining obligation can go on for weeks and months. I've seen them last more than a year where agencies will have to engage in bargaining with the union. They can't reach agreement. They can't resolve it through mediation or some other form. So the agency is barred from implementing the change they wanted to make five or six months ago because it's still bargaining for the past five or six months with its union. And, of course, agencies don't want to wait for most of these changes. They'd like to put them in place right away. So the longer it has to wait, the more difficult it is for agencies to do what they think needs to be done to run the government. So the first thing that comes out of the decision we're looking at is that conditions of employment are a huge deal because when you change them, you have to notify the union. But there's another word that to normal people, (laughs) and that's people that aren't deep in this world of federal sector labor relations, is called working conditions. And I think if you stop someone on the street and said, hey, do these things sound the same, this phrase of working conditions and conditions of employment, most would say they do sound the same. But that's not how the law evolved. Uh, There's a principle in law that says if a statute uses two different phrases for what could arguably be the same thing, it must mean that they're two different things. In other words, it would not have used different words if it meant that they were going to be the same thing. So in the early days of FLRA, when it started looking at these terms of conditions of employment and working conditions, it said, aha, the statute requires union management to negotiate conditions of employment prior to making a change, but it does not do that for working conditions. And so back in the early 80s when this law was being fleshed out, we often were litigating whether a matter was a working condition or a condition of employment because if it's a condition of employment, management could not make the change until it bargained 
Sure. However, if it was sim- simply a working condition, that could be changed immediately. We're speaking with Bill Wiley. He's former executive director of the Office of Special Counsel at the Federal Labor Relations Authority. Just give us some quick examples of what might be a condition of employment that has to be bargained over versus what's a working condition that could be changed arbitrarily. So a condition of employment might be the configuration of a workspace. Maybe a workspace has six private offices, and then maybe in addition it has 10 work modules. These are just kind of computer centers. And so it bargains with the union as a condition of employment as to how the six offices are going to be arranged, perhaps what size they are, perhaps what furniture is in there, perhaps even who would be working in which offices. So those would be conditions of employment because it's a broad scope application of a condition that the employees are going to be in once they come to work each day. Now, once that condition of employment, six office spaces, is in place, then what happens within those six office spaces as time progresses, management would often argue is a working condition. So they want to move one employee, employee X, from the first office uh, space as you come down the hall to the last office space as you come down the hall. In the early days, that would have been, the latter change would have been a working condition that does not need to be bargained. So The arrangement of the offices to begin with when they were first set up is a condition of employment, has to be notified to the union, and the union has the right to bargain. However, once that's in place, then who is assigned to which offices, assuming the employees are basically doing the same duties, they're just being moved around, becomes a working condition, and any changes to that does not have to be notified. The union does not have to be notified and bargained with in advance. Now, getting back to this decision from the FLRA to education and agriculture, I guess the question becomes, why were they seeking this distinction then, these two departments, education and agriculture, citing a DHS case from 2018? Well, you're going to find in in bargaining like that that the agency wants to make their changes right away. Agency's viewpoint is that this is a working condition. The union is saying, no, it's really a condition of employment and has to be notified and changed. The law began that there was a distinction between the two, and this is the early 80s. And you didn't have to bargain working condition changes, but you did have to bargain conditions of employment. But over the 80s and 90s, what happened is the FLRA decision seemed to lose that distinction. I can't say that there was a particular case where they said from this day forward we consider these both to be the same and the both require the same, uh, place the same bargaining obligation on management. That was the result of them. And so that was where we were and have been up until the last couple of three years before we had the current constellation of authority members who've been appointed by the current White House administration. So what's happened today and the decisions you're looking at is that the current collection of authority members, the three authority members appointed under President Trump, have decided, you know, there really is a distinction, even though we've kind of brought these together, effectively requiring management to negotiate and bargain just about any change in a workplace, whether it be a working condition or a condition of employment, those things sort of lost their distinction. So that something that affected a single employee could, uh, the FLRA might look at and say, aha, that's a significant enough change. There has to be notification and bargaining. And what these decisions are coming around to is, no, 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 maybe we were right the first time. There are two different terms. 
and there's a distinction between conditions of employment and working conditions, and the reason those cases come up is that management chooses not to bargain, declares them non-negotiable, and uh, or commits an unfair labor practice by implementing without negotiating, then that's where the authority is starting to deal with these. This most recent call for clarification from the agencies on FLRA to explain the distinction in more detail makes sense because it is such a fine line between the two concepts. And, you know, on a case-by-case, this clarification is not terribly inefficient. You know, when you don't really know the difference between a working condition of and condition of employment, if you're an agency, you just have to make your change, uh, you know, roll the dice, and after the fact, FLRA may look at it and say you were right or you're wrong. So what the agencies are asking for is, hey, FLRA, give us some guidance here. You know, it's arguable this could go either way. But we understand that you want to make a distinction, but we don't really know what that means and how to define that. And they're asking FLRA to to do some defining on a broad base, and the authority is declining to do that. And so the declining to do that, then, what is the practical effect on labor relations and bargaining in those agencies or in any agency? At least the agency back having to just uh, pay their money and take their chances. They have to take a position that, well, nope, we don't think this is negotiable, so we're not going to bargain with you before we make the change. And when they do that, a good union is going to file an unfair labor practice saying that the agency failed to meet its bargaining obligation. The general counsel of FLRA is going to conduct an investigation, perhaps file a complaint unfair labor practice. So we get all involved in litigation after the fact. And that litigation could result, you know, a year, perhaps two years after the change that the perhaps the agency was mistaken. That was something they had to negotiate. Then the order from FLRA can direct the agency to undo the change that it made and perhaps compensate employees who were harmed by the change financially in some way. It would be like your GPS. Most of us have a GPS in our car. The GPS, we say we want to go to the supermarket. It says, okay, here are the turns that you make and the roads that you take. That's great. That's what the agencies are asking FLRA to do is to act like a GPS and tell us in advance what things are negotiable and what things are not. And the alternative, what FLRA is doing, and most adjudicatory bodies would do this, is saying, no, 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 we'll tell you when you make the wrong turn. We won't tell you what the right way to go is, but we'll tell you when you make the mistake of going the right way. Or perhaps we will tell you when you make you do decide to go down this street that you're going in the right direction, but we won't tell you in advance. So that's why this is such an issue. Agencies see it as inefficient that they just have to take their best case because you can imagine so many bargaining situations are unique. Perhaps we could say all of them are. The topics that are involved, the prior agreements that the parties have entered into. So there's just about any case that comes up is going to be different from any other case. So the agencies would like to have overriding guidance. They would like the GPS approach, if I may, to bargaining in the federal sector. Tell us in advance what things, and clearly, are are working conditions as compared to conditions of employment, and we'll go through and do the right thing. The authority is declining to do that. So therefore, things are still kind of up to the discretion then of agencies, and as you say, take their best shot and hope that the unions go along or else they've got some labor relations issues on their hands. Yes, sir. The initial decision-making would be on the part of the agencies, but of course the three members of the authority will eventually decide whether that initial decision was correct in their eyes or was mistaken.
Bill Wiley is former executive director, Office of General Counsel at the Federal Labor Relations Authority. Thanks so much for joining me. Glad to do it, Tom. We'll post this interview along with a link to that FLRA decision at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. Pop quiz. What can you buy for $3.99? Not a latte, but for less than the cost of a cup of coffee, you can get all your favorite music ad-free. While other streaming services jack up their prices, Live One's membership is only $3.99 per month. And you can lock in that price for a full year. Join now to get the best deal in music with zero ads, unlimited skips, and maximum audio quality. Get the music you love at a price that fits into your budget with Live One Plus. Check out liveone.com slash best music for details. When you think about something that brings out the best in us, it usually involves helping someone else. By donating plasma at a Griffel Center, you can help save millions of lives and show your good side to the world. You'll join thousands of people who donate safely each week, so patients get the plasma-derived medicines they rely on, and you'll be rewarded up to $1,000 your first month. Learn more at grifflesplasma.com.